Warning. The podcast you are about to experience may contain content that isn't suitable for younger audiences. So, if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now is your chance to... Well, we've warned you. Welcome to Villainology, a podcast revolving around our favorite personifications of humanity's darker side, and what truly makes them the scourge of their respective worlds. I am your host, Rob Mobley, and we hope that you're a fan of a good chiss game, because I anticipate that today's episode is going to send us into the unknown regions of podcast topics. For those of you that are new here, the basic idea is that I present each guest an opportunity to discuss at length someone who is widely considered to be a villain and to offer their own personal insight as to why they find them so intriguing. These opinions are totally subjective, and I find that hearing the thoughts of other people on someone you either love to hate or hate to love helps to better understand these characters as a whole. Our guest today is someone who I first saw as the King of the Britons in the National Tour of Spamalot, and has continued to kick ass as an actor, a husband, and soon-to-be father. He can write a mean sea shanty, and is the best paladin to have by your side if you're a reckless swashbuckler <laughs> like myself, Mr. Arthur Rowan. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. What do you look for in a good villain? Oh gosh, it there's a lot of different things that can fill that niche or that role just like with any other character, they need to be interesting. Ideally, what you've got is a villain who, yes, of course, furthers the plot. The villain serves as the antagonist to the hero most frequently. But if they are not interesting in and of themselves, things really fall apart. Case in point, one of the big differences in terms of quality between the first Thor film and the second Thor film. In the first Thor film, your villain was Loki, who was both entertaining but also had like this backstory you know he was conflicted he had his own arc of discovering that he wasn't actually Odin's son like there was a whole bunch of stuff going into that in the second Thor movie which had a lot of really great moments to it like there was still phenomenal character development with Thor and Jane Foster but its villain Malekith was just I am evil and I will bring darkness yeah, and that which was, was such a waste it, for Christopher Eccleston. Which, and a waste for Malekith, the character, too. Absolutely. Uh, so Thor 2, The Dark World, has, whether it's deserved or not, been widely considered one of the, the least good of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I think a lot of that comes down to it didn't have an interesting villain. So I would say, first and foremost, your villain has to be interesting. So you could have a villain who is interesting because they're conflicted. You know, we love a... I think you reviewed Javert earlier yes. on that's a perfect example of the conflicted villain who's not sure but you don't even necessarily need the villain to have an arc they can be the mustache twisting you know snidely whiplash type character sometimes it's incredibly delightful to watch people delight in being the villain and being evil uh, so there's a lot of ways to go around about doing it but at the end of the day you, you just got to be interesting well i think today's topic is definitely going to fall into that category so without further ado Tell us, Arthur Rowan, which villain have you chosen? I have chosen for today, we are going to be discussing Mithron Nurodo. That is his original Chiss name, but we we know him better on this side of the galaxy as my boy, Grand Admiral Thrawn. Please, I am a poor refugee. Captain, do you recognize this? 
Yes, it, it was here, in my office. I thought I could sell it for food. My family is starving. No excuse. You shall make a valuable example to others of your kind who think to steal from the Empire. She's far more valuable than you realize. Uh, how do you mean? To defeat an enemy, you must know them. Not simply their battle tactics, but their history, philosophy, art. So I will ask you again, Captain. Do you know what this is? Some primitive native trinket. It's a Kalikori. A revered Twi'lek heirloom, passed from parent to child through generations. Worthless to outsiders, priceless to family. Yes, well, she stole it. Yes, but why? War. It's all you ever known, isn't it? You were so young when you survived the Clone War. No wonder you're as equipped in spirit to fight as well as you do. War is in your blood. I study the art of war, work to perfect it. But you, you were forged by it. Sir, she's just a peasant! It doesn't matter where we come from, Admiral. Our will to be free is what's going to beat you. You! You dare! Slavin, please. You embarrass me in front of our host. Host? What? May I introduce Hera Sindula, rebel pilot, freedom fighter, and military leader. Daughter of your nemesis, Cham Sindula. How did you know? Because rebels have friends always rushing to the rescue. I'm going to preemptively toss up a spoiler warning before we get started. If you haven't seen Rebels or The Mandalorian, first off, what are you doing with your life? But second of all, this episode is going to go deep into both of those franchises. So if you need to bow out and catch up, now is the time. We are probably going to be covering both Star Wars that is officially considered canon, as well as old school Star Wars Legends, which were the novels yes. from the 90s. So. Are you still here? Excellent. So, Arthur, why Thrawn? Oh, so let me start with the first time I encountered Thrawn, which was I was a high schooler way back in 1995, I think. And this was when the idea uh like this was back before even the first films had not had their re-release. Literally the only Star Wars that we had was VCR recordings of the original trilogy. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly, and I guess at the time, like Marvel and, and Dark Horse were, uh, Dark Horse Comics was putting out some of the Star Wars comics, but I hadn't been reading those. But then suddenly I found in my sci-fi fantasy bookshelf at my local Barnes and Noble, a book called Heir to the Empire. And this was the first of the Thrawn trilogy written by Timothy Zahn. And it was the first book that was meant to really say, okay, what happened after Return of the Jedi? Now, that whole expanded universe, as it became known, eventually that sprawled something like, you know, easily over a hundred books, many of them of debatable quality. But this first trilogy came screaming out of the gate. Uh, Zahn did a great job, not just in doing a good job of capturing the original characters, 
but then also creating this great new arch nemesis that they had to deal with. That was Grand Admiral Thrawn. His main ability, he sort of took over the entire Imperial fleet. And his main ability was that he was just wicked smart. I like to describe him. He is the Sherlock Holmes of the Star Wars universe. Oh, sure. Yeah, within the first 30 pages, he has demonstrated it shows his small ragtag Imperial fleet at the time fighting against this other race. And he immediately shows that because he has studied the artwork of this race, he knows the way they tend to think and is therefore able to predict their, you know, to predict what tactics they're going to use. I will say to a certain extent, and I want to get this out there, loving Thrawn is a little bit of a guilty pleasure in the sense that this ability of his to outthink everyone is, it's, you know, completely, honestly, it's maybe a little bit far-fetched, but, you know, maybe no more far-fetched than Sherlock Holmes' ability to deduct things. Absolutely. So, yeah, so it is a, it is his superpower. And that is the first thing that makes him so interesting. But I think what really catapults him in my mind into somebody who has stuck with me for a long time is not just that he's smart, but he, in many ways, even though he's the bad guy, he is a phenomenal example of what you want in a military leader. He has no interest in self-aggrandizement. He has said that he has no problem using a great idea, even if it didn't come from him. He is, his dedication is only to his cause, uh, to the Empire, uh, or in later novels, to the Chiss Ascendancy. It's never about advancing his own self. And he always takes an extremely active interest in helping his team, the people below him, achieve the best versions of themselves, too. There's the old saying that good leaders create good followers. Great leaders create good leaders. And Thrawn definitely falls into that second category. For people that are unaware of Thrawn's origin within the novelizations, now I'm not sure, actually I should, I should preface this, what are the differences between his original iteration in the Thrawn trilogy, which is now considered Legends, and what we have now through Rebels and current canon novelizations? They, and this is something that's so interesting, and it's fascinating what Star Wars is doing, because once Disney got a hold of Star Wars... And they essentially wiped the slate clean. They said, okay, nothing of Expanded Universe is actually canon anymore. And a lot of people were worried about that fact. And, you know, crestfallen. There were a lot of great characters. But since then, Filoni and his crew have been doing a great job of going through and basically saying, okay, what were the most awesome aspects of Expanded Universe? Because there were a lot of non-awesome aspects to the EU. Oh, yeah. You have to go through with a fine-tooth comb on a lot yeah, of Yeah, but... <laughs> But we started seeing through Clone Wars and especially through Rebels that they were starting to uh, to include some of the, the best of the old stuff. Interdictor cruisers, which are essentially Imperial Star Destroyers that have the ability to yank a ship out of hyperspace. Yeah. Uh, that was straight up expanded universe. They brought those back. And so I remember very distinctly, I, I actually remember I was backstage at a show and somebody sent me a trailer for... It was between Rebels season two and season three, and someone sent me a trailer and said, dude, you, you really need to watch this. And then Governor Price is saying, it's just like, I think I brought it, I brought in special assistance to help me with this rebel problem. And then this blue skin, badass mofo walks out with his red shining eyes and the level of squee that came out of me at that <laughs> point was just 
so Thrawn was reintroduced into the canon as part of Star Wars Rebels, but the brilliant thing about it was that they went back to Timothy Zahn, who'd created the character over 20 years earlier, and said, how would you like to just do an entire new series of Thrawn novels? There are some differences between the Legends Thrawn and canon Thrawn, mostly in that Legends Thrawn, while he was not the evil Emperor Palpatine or even uh, evil Darth Vader, like even Legends Thrawn was appalled at the idea of killing off your subordinates just because they'd failed. He was also, he was pretty ruthless. You know, he tricked an entire race called the Nogri into thinking that he was going to be helping their planet when in fact he was making it worse. He did some underhanded stuff. And while the Thrawn in the current canon, especially in Rebels, we see he he is still ruthless. There's a point where he bombards uh, innocent civilians in order to get the Rebels to surrender. Especially in the new novels that have come out, you get the sense that this is somebody who only does what he absolutely has to. He does not enjoy taking life needlessly. And in fact, they really delve into the only reason why he's working for the Empire is because, having come from the Unknown Regions, he is aware of the greatest, darkest threats that exist in the galaxy, and they are not the Emperor. And his whole theory is the known galaxy, in order to deal with these threats, is going to need as strong and unified a force as possible to fight it. And so because of that, to him, the Empire is the lesser of the two evils, which kind of starts bringing him from the realm of villain almost into the realm of anti-hero. Like, I'm still waiting. Clearly, we've we've seen from The Mandalorian, like, his name has been dropped, which, once again, elicited a massive squee from me. Because uh, <laughs> right now, we don't know where the character is. At the end of Star Wars Rebels, he gets shunted off into hyperspace somewhere, along with Ezra Bridger. And so I'm still wondering what they're still going to do more with this guy. What are they going to do? Half of me is thinking, well, they'll just make him the next villain of whatever next saga or arc they're doing. But there's also he's always going to be one step away from becoming, you know, in a very low key fashion from becoming sort of the ally to the main characters, because there's a lot of situations in which his goals and the actual goals of New Republic would align. Especially if, say, you know, these dark forces from the unknown regions actually make themselves known. And he's the only one of his kind that we've really met. We, I don't think we've ever actually met any other members of the Chiss race. In the in, in some of the, the, the really obscure expanded universe novels, we met a few. And in one of the most recent Thrawn novels for the canon, it was called Thrawn Treason. Thrawn and his Imperial ship actually end up working alongside a Chiss Star Destroyer. And so you sort of meet Admiral Aralani is one of those characters and who is actually an admiral that Thrawn worked with before. So he's in these new novels, Zahn is actually starting to flesh out the culture of the Chiss that Thrawn came from. But for the most part, yeah, the idea of seeing a Chiss in explored space is pretty much Thrawn was it. Hearing Ahsoka name drop him at that pivotal moment in The Mandalorian and knowing what we know based off of the end of Rebels, you said you'd like to see him kind of lean more into not necessarily a heroic role, but more of a ally role. Where do you see the story going next? Oh, gosh, uh, I that is dangerous waters. Uh, I mean, I could come up with a couple theories, but to a certain degree, it's always like monkeys throwing darts at a dart. <laughs> so the Thrawn that I've gotten to know in these in the most recent iteration of the novels, it's one of the things that makes 
him not just a great villain but a great character he's really likable like you're rooting for him and that is that is the point of it it's not like it's not like those stories where you're supposed to root for the hero but at the end of the day you're like actually i really liked the villain way more i would have been fine if they won thrawn is the protagonist of these novels and so you are you are on his side fanboy arthur wants it to be sort of a an ally situation I love a good story trope of this amazing hero who's been fighting this amazing villain for, you know, for episodes and story arcs. But suddenly there's this thing that causes them to have to work together because we all had those conversations. Or, well, I certainly did around the, the lunch table in high school of, OK, if, say, Superman and Wolverine were in a fight, who is going to win? That's always a it's a fun mind game along those lines. It's also kind of fun to say, OK, well. If Wolverine and Magneto were ended up working together, what would that be like? Not just in terms of how would their powers complement each other, but personality-wise, what would work? At the end of the day, I think it comes down to if you've had a bunch of characters in a story and you personally, as the reader, like, love each and every one of those characters, even though those characters have been at odds with each other, the possibility of seeing those characters now all on one team, it's incredibly enticing. So that is what I would most love to happen, is for them to really delve into more what this great unknown threat... And this unknown threat, this hasn't even been mentioned in Rebels or Mandalorian. Not at all. This is strictly novels material, which means it is... There's canon, and then there's canon. And so far, the novel stuff is still more like, uh, oh, that's canon. So I'm not sure what they're going to do with that. I think, it, I think what's more likely is that, to some degree, he is going to end up being... In this Ahsoka spinoff, I have a feeling he's going to be, at least initially, like, the big bad right. that she's going to be dealing with. What would you say motivates him? The greater good is his main thing. A lot of his initial life, uh, his origin story, was everything he was doing was for the good of the Chiss, or the Chiss Ascendancy, as it's called. Even though they disagreed with a lot of his tactics, he eventually was exiled from them. Because he believed in preemptive strikes. The Chiss had this whole thing of, no, we only go to war with our enemies. And they told Thrawn, you're going to war with our potential enemies. Do you see the difference? And Thrawn replies, yes, I do. And no, I don't. <laughs> so, <laughs> and in the same way, he, you know, even allying with the Empire. And he's fully aware. He's not blind to the evils that the Empire is doing. He, he hates the slave trade but knows that, you know, the Empire has its hand in that too. But again, it's he's constantly choosing between the lesser of two evils for the greater good of civilization as a whole. And technically speaking, and this is not an exact correlation, I mean, technically speaking, you could say the same thing about Marvel Cinematic Universe, their version of Thanos. Sure. So that he is, you know, whether or not I agree with where Thrawn's motives lead him, at the end of the day, I think his intentions are, they're always, at, if not good, at least they are never selfish. And to that end, kind of leading into my next question, to say he's a lover of the arts is a bit of an understatement. Mm. Where do you think that interest comes from? I, well, and I think it is the, there's a great scene in Rebels in which they've captured Harris and Dula, the Twi'lek, and somehow he's gotten a hold of, I think, this piece of artwork that Hera made as a kid. Uh, I forget the name of it, but it's something that's very important to Twi'lek The Calicori. The Calicori, thank you. And one of his aides at the time, just like, what the heck, what is this Twi'lek trash? 
and he tears into them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, which speaks to, I'm jumping into, I think it was from Ender's Game, a fascinating and terrifying philosophy that Ender had, which was, in order to get to know my enemy, I must learn my enemy. And when I truly learn my enemy, I love my enemy. And it is only when I love my enemy that I am best able to destroy them. Which is just, it's heartbreaking. But I see corollaries in that. Thrawn, again, there's nothing self-aggrandizing about Thrawn. He still has the potential for being awed and struck with wonder by all of the amazing different things that there are in the galaxy. I mean, I fully believe you cannot be a lover of art, period, without wanting to connect behind why an artist made something. In order to enjoy art of any kind, you need at least some capacity for wonder and a capacity for being amazed at the world outside yourself and at people other than you. So Thrawn's love of art, it does not just inform his supernatural tactical thinking. It also tells you deeply that he's very good at placing himself in other people's shoes. Would you say that's his only redeeming quality, or are there others that you can think of? So several other redeeming qualities. His, although it probably all stems from the same thing. I mean, now, now that I'm talking about it, so much of morality in general comes down to, do you acknowledge that there are people besides yourself who should receive benefit of any kind? Like, is your goal just to make it like Emperor Palpatine? Literally no desire in life other than his own self-benefit. But then you do get the villains who recognize that they are not the only people on the planet. And at the basis of that is Palpatine only has love for himself. And then on the far other end of the spectrum where you have like the truly heroic saints, they have love for everybody. And then most other characters exist somewhere in between. Thrawn's redeeming characters, besides his love of art, is he deeply takes an interest in the success of his team and the success of his subordinates. And to the degree that in the novels, his second-in-command on his flagship, the Chimera, Commodore Pharaoh, he sort of coaches her along. He continuously has his team. They hate it. He's continuously putting them through tests. But essentially, he's teaching them. And when Pharaoh reaches a point, there's actually a point she applies for a position commanding another Star Destroyer. And she finds out the Thrawn actually recommended against that. And at first she's thinking, oh, you just wanted me, you wanted to keep me here because I'm of more use to you. And at the end of the book, Thrawn is saying, he's like, no, I recommended against that because I think you're way better commanding this entire task force over here. That's what I recommended you for. So he is even willing to let people who are of value to himself move on if that is for their own best interest. We saw him masterfully portrayed in Rebels by Lars Mikkelsen, and there are rumors that he is set to reprise that role in a live-action setting. But if it doesn't turn out to be him, who else would you like to see play this character? Oh gosh, I've seen, there have been some wonderful top 10 lists I've seen of this. Uh, Lars Mikkelsen does make the most sense, especially because he did a great job in voice acting him in Rebels. But also... He's got the actual body for the role, like that sort of tall, rail thin, poised and stately. Certainly, I think the number one on a lot of people's lists are Benedict Cumberbatch. Because, I mean, the, again, the Sherlock Holmes of Star Wars and for many different things. And that one would almost be too obvious, I think. All the great 
British actors that we currently know, all of them would do a great job with it. But yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch is the one that always immediately jumps to mind. You recently got a bit of notoriety for writing star shanties. Uh, the the <laughs> first real big one being around Thrawn, so much so that Timothy Zahn himself not only commented on it, but shared it on his own page. Congratulations on that. Thank you. That was great. I mean, and it's in the internet world, notoriety is a, it's a relative and fleeting thing. It was, so I put together these star shanties just because I've been doing Renaissance fairs for 10 years. Got a role that I take to perform at fairs, uh, Rowan the Bard, who's just sort of this, you know, this roving musician. I've been into sea shanties for years and years. I love it. It's one of my favorite forms of acapella music. Like all good acapella, it's people coming together to sort of create this overall sound, like with cool harmonies. But when you do a sea shanty right, you can still hear the individual personalities of each singer. Yeah. You know, it's funny, my my wife, Kelly, she works for the Voices of Liberty at Disney, which is one of the most refined, pure instances of harmonic singing that I've ever heard. Absolutely. Every single voice disappears into the whole in this just astonishing, pure blend. And I love that style of singing. But then I also love the complete other end of the spectrum, which is sea shanty acapella, which has, when done right a rawness to it, an unrefined sense, which imbues it with a lot of life. I'm not huge on TikTok right now. I'm I'm a 41-year-old man. I've got my Facebooks, and <laughs> I miss my MySpace. And, but uh, as I'm getting more into it, and suddenly, out of nowhere, people are like, oh yeah, sea shanties are 100% the thing now. I forget even how I came up with it, but I was like, well, mate, I, I've got time to kill at home right now. So what's a creative project I could do? And somehow I got the idea of, okay, sea shanties, but let's make them, well, what, what can I do to make it part like a geek folk sort of thing? And then I, I was thinking, well, maybe like sky shanties of people who do airships. But I was like, yeah, but there's no shared, there's no like understood mythology behind airships. That's the one thing with steampunk. I love steampunk, but there's no unifying story that everyone can reference. And so then something in me was just like, well, just think bigger, go star shanties. So that got me into writing sea shanties in the Star Wars universe. And my first star shanty was uh, Old Man Thrawn. The idea of, okay, what would Admiral Thrawn's crew sing as they were aboard uh, his starship? Oh, hark me, crew, and attend to me. Stand your post and sing it loud. It's another fine day on the ISD. Let's make the old man proud. Our orders send us toward the rim. Stand your post and sing it loud. So keep his girl in a fighting trim. Let's make the old man proud. Fire the engines, chart the path. We're off to deliver the Empire's wrath. He's the brain and ours the brawn. We sail for old man Thrawn. And yeah, and that kind of, it was one of those things that just took off. Next thing I knew, I had Star Wars friends who somehow had connections to Timothy Zahn and Timothy Zahn saw it. And I think he said, he said Thrawn would be proud, which to me validated literally every choice I've made <laughs> since high school. <laughs> and I'm like, well, this is, this is it. I've peaked. Here we are. Yeah, so he showed that. So I'm still continuing with the pro. I'm still continuing with the project. I'm releasing them on the Row and the Bard YouTube and Facebook pages. Uh, I've done one on, on Hondo Anaka as well since then. Oh, my favorite pirate. Yeah, I know, so much fun. <laughs> but we could do a whole other thing just on Hondo, who technically is also a villain until that he's is not. true. 
But yeah, so it's it's fun. And what I love so much about Star Wars in general is I remember someone once described it as it's the it is the American myth. You know, all these old cultures, you know, Greeks had their own mythology, you know, England and Germany and all of these all of these nations that have been around for hundreds, if not thousands of years, they have this shared folklore. And America is still a relatively young country. And so because and part of what makes us great is the melting pot aspect. So what you've got is a whole bunch of different folklores from all over the world, which is awesome. But having like an actual unified mythology, that's not something that we've really had until someone actually pointed out, well, Star Wars. And I guess now Mar- like Marvel is really ap- approaching that point like su- um, and Superman, things like that. But superheroes and Star Wars, those are our two big myths. There are certain touchstones that, you know, like even people who aren't super familiar with the Star Wars universe can still reference. I mean, everybody has heard May the Force Be With You in some way, shape or form. And to me, what's always great about myths in that how it differs from actually formed religions is that myth stories will take on lives of their own. Uh, Even if you go back to the old Greek myths, there's no one story of Hercules, of this is what happened to him. There's a whole bunch of different stories about him because somebody came up with him at some point and then that initial story just sort of spread and then everybody else was sort of playing on the archetype. I love the Star Wars universe. The prime characters in it are great, but also the world itself, all of the worlds in it, they provide such fertile ground for fans like us to just dive in and to play around with the idea. Do I think that in the original iteration of Star Wars, would there be any possibility of sailors singing shanties? on the? No, absolutely not. <laughs> but it's a fun as hell what if. Getting back to Thrawn. Mm-hmm. What do you think Timothy Zahn and, by proxy, Dave Filoni are trying to say with him as a character? I think one of the things I've seen through Thrawn, and we're seeing it pop up in other places too, is it's the Javert effect. It is the idea of, okay, in the original Star Wars trilogy, Empire equals bad. And more specifically, everyone in the Empire equals bad. You know, it was just pretty much assumed that, okay, the rebels encounter anyone working for the Empire. That person's probably pretty cruel and heavily authoritarian. And because of that, whatever happens to them, we, we don't care. What, what's important is that our heroes beat them. What we are starting to see, and especially what I love about The Mandalorian, I love that one episode on Tatooine where I forget the name of the town or the, the sheriff who was saying, it was like, yeah, I remember. Oh, Cobb Van. Yeah, Cobb Van. He was saying, I remember the night that the Emperor was killed. We were super excited, and literally that same night is when a whole bunch of criminals swept in to fill the void that the Empire had left. The Empire, in many ways, is now seeming beginning, starting to seem a lot more like Rome was. And the galaxy after the Empire is, we're kind of looking at what Europe was like after the fall of Rome. Sure. Rome was ruthlessly authoritarian. I mean, if one person from your village killed a Roman soldier, they'd burn the entire village to the ground. But it was also this pinnacle of civilization. And, you know, there's a reason why it was the, it was called the Dark Ages after Rome fell. And I feel like in that sense, Thrawn, 
I know that I think about it, like Thrawn really represents that sort of Roman senator. I do everything for the glory of Rome. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of little guys who get sort of batted aside for the glory of Rome. But it's not like Rome provided no benefits. What I'm really interested in now is we're starting to see a whole bunch of individuals within the Empire. Some of them are higher up. Some of them are, you know, just there trying to do their job. Shoot, what I'd love to see is like, I would love to see it like a cops type show, maybe not cop, but like a, a police type show where it's just like this troop of stormtroopers who's on this one planet in the outer rim. And they're, you know, they've got kids, they've got families and they're just there trying to keep, you know, or they've got spice smugglers and, you know, and pirates coming through and maybe they've never met a rebel in their lives. They're just doing their best to sort of keep their little corner of the galaxy as peaceful as they can. We kind of got a little bit of a taste of that at the end of season one of The Mandalorian with that opening scene between the two troopers just hanging out with little Rogu <laughs> in the in the speeder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... We're starting to see people inside the Empire now, which, on the one hand, if you're trying to tell a big... Like, Star Wars has always been space opera. It's galactic fantasy on a huge scale. And sometimes... This is always so weird to say. Sometimes, for the sake of just a good, rousing story, you you don't want to know too much about the bad guys who are left behind in the wake of the hero's victory. Sometimes I think it's okay for us not to think too hard about... Well, it, it certainly... You know, that's why Clone Wars was always great, because it was always droids, and oh, we don't need to care about droids. Like, the the number of stories where you'll see a ha some hand-waving given to why we shouldn't need to morally care about the bad guys. And I'm not even saying that's always a bad thing. But Star Wars is really growing up. I'm a huge proponent of Last Jedi. Although I completely understand the debate behind whether or not that was a good film, or even whether that was a quote-unquote Star Wars film. To me, it represented Star Wars is evolving. It's growing up, and part of it's growing up means now we're needing to wrestle with the fact that, well, maybe there's a bunch of people in the Empire that aren't necessarily bad people. And that doesn't even mean that they shouldn't be fought. It could be that the world they're trying to build is still going to be a worse world than the world that our heroes do. So I guess no matter what Filoni and the crew do with Thrawn, I think we can assume that he's coming back at some point. The one thing that I hope the most is that they do not just make him this evil character. Like, don't get me wrong, even if he was just this one-dimensional evil character whose only thing was his scarily preternatural ability to outthink everyone, that would still make him a really interesting character. But to me, what makes him one of my favorite villains of all time, not just Star Wars, is not just that he has this really cool ability, but that you get him. He's not one of the mwahaha bad guys. Final thoughts. What does Thrawn mean to you personally? Thrawn? You know, now that I think of it... So I remember in 10th grade English, I was reading... It was either a Star Wars novel or a Dragonlance novel. It was it was sci-fi fantasy. And, you know, for the longest time, and even still in bookstores, sci-fi and fantasy are just sort of considered their own section. They just lump oh, yeah. the two together. And I remember my, my 10th grade English teacher saying, in as many words, that it was a waste of time. It was escapism. And I never believed that. And I still don't believe that. Everything I do in my own art and work, I try to fight against that idea. Through reading fantasy, through playing Dungeons and Dragons, through all of these things, I'm not escaping from this world. At least not permanently. 
I'm going into other worlds, sometimes trying out different hats of different characters that I play, even like in role playing, but always with the idea of from these stories, I'm going to learn something that I want to bring back to my own life. Believe it or not, uh, quick tangent. So for the 30th anniversary of Dungeons and Dragons, they came out with this beautiful book of D&D art and with a foreword by, of all people, Vin freaking Diesel who <laughs> loves D&D. And he was saying, and he was saying, he's like, yeah, I, and so he wrote, and again, this is Vin Diesel writing this. He said, we were playing, you know, I remember in high school, we would, we would be playing these different characters. And at the time, I thought that I was playing all of these characters who were totally different than me. But it's only later that I've realized what I was doing was trying on different aspects of myself that I hadn't fully explored, which I absolutely love. And to me, fantasy and sci-fi is a wonderful playground to do that in. Bring that back to Thrawn. I think thinking about it now, from Thrawn, I actually learned what are some of the characteristics that make up the kind of leader I would want to be in terms of effectiveness, preparedness, the amount of study. He never loses his cool. He is a tremendous example of a truly powerful man can say more with one whispered word than a less powerful man can with a shouted tirade. He respects even the cultures that he's fighting against, which means that he has this understanding of the inherent interconnectedness behind all of us. And he, the way that he engenders the respect of his crew, of his team, is by taking an interest in them, but also admitting his own mistakes. And if one of his team has an idea that's better than his, which in Thrawn's case doesn't happen often, but it happens, he will say... Absolutely, that's he gives credit where credit is due. He does not try to sweep it under the rug just so that he could make himself seem better. Thrawn is an example of a truly, truly confident person. And the irony of being truly confident is that you don't worry at all about whether other people think you're good at what you do. Once you become truly confident in your own abilities, you don't need to prove yourself to others. But even more importantly, you don't need to prove yourself to yourself anymore. And what I mean by that is it's a lot easier for you to accept and learn from your own mistakes because the fact that you've messed up does not shake your own confidence in yourself, if that makes sense. Sure. So Thrawn is, and there have been other characters since then, uh, Honor Harrington uh, in David Weber's sci-fi series, who's not a villain, uh, quite the opposite, but that's a wonderful series too. I love, I love books that exemplify great leadership. And to me, Thrawn is one of the best. Arthur, thank you so much for being on the show. Dude, thanks for having me. This is so much fun. You actually have your own podcast called Totally Super. What can you tell us about it? Yeah, sure. No, that is my friend, uh, my friend Justin and I. I've known Justin for 20 years. And we met, actually, we were doing a production of Much Ado About Nothing. And funnily enough, he saw me reading a paperback book about Darth Maul. And immediately knew that, oh my gosh, here's another Star Wars geek that I can talk to. And for, for any of you who are into theater, you all need to understand, and this is strange, 25 years ago, there were not that many geeks in theater. Like, now, every actor that I know under the age of 30 has a D&D group that they play with. And that is, it's, it's a brave, amazing new world to me. <laughs> but back then, I, like, people were just like, 
we would go on stage and like be playing Shakespeare and having sword fights and everything. We'd walk off stage and I'd pick up a Star Wars book and some people would be like, oh, you're into Star Wars? Huh, okay. Justin was not one of those actors. Justin was another big Star Wars geek. And so we have been geek friends for years. And we have set ourselves the task of, with the Totally Super podcast, reviewing every superhero film that has ever been made. And uh, that is a monumental task that we are slowly working our way through. But uh, every episode is just, we take another movie. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's bad. Sometimes the bad ones are the most fun to review. And, uh, and we talk about it. I love the concept for it. And I'm looking forward to the day when you cover some of the 90s pulp hero flicks like The Rocketeer, The Phantom, The Shadow, all of those. Oh my gosh, we haven't. We need to do The Rocketeer. That would be so great. Because <laughs> The Rocketeer is one of those films that's just like, is this a good movie? No, but we all love it, right? And everyone's like, yes, of course we love this film. Oh, it's, it's close to my heart, that movie. Thank you again, Arthur. This was so lovely. Thank you for having me, Rob. I'm also going to leave several Venmo account links where you can donate towards aiding the victims in Texas currently dealing with a loss of their basic infrastructure and food supply. Now, I know that times are already tough, what with unemployment still being where it is nationwide. But if you have anything that you can spare to help them out as well, please consider any one of the links I'll leave below. Thank you to Ross Lambert for composing the theme song to this podcast. He's a brilliant guy. And if any of you out there are in the market for any sort of music production needs, head on over to his website at daggerandink.com. And thank you, listener, for carving out just a little bit of time for us today. If you like the show, please consider following us on Facebook and Instagram at Villainology Podcast and on Twitter at Villainology Pod. I'm also on Twitch about three times a week playing all sorts of games, and I'd love to hang out with you all. So come follow me at twitch.tv backslash Rob underscore Mobley. Feel free to give us a review if you like what we're doing and drop us a comment on who you'd love to see discussed next. And hopefully we'll see you next time. Stay foolish, mortals. Ha 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 ha